listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor David Sinclair. Forced to work as a slave as young as, the, as young as five years old. When she was 12, she reportedly refused to help an overseer punish another enslaved person, and she suffered a severe head injury when, she, when he threw an iron weight that struck her accidentally. This led to severe seizures for the rest of her life. In 1849, Harriet Tubman escaped to Philadelphia by herself after hearing rumors that she would be sold. A year later, she decided to return and liberate her sister and two children. This was the first of 13 trips she made to Maryland, freeing over 70 slaves. She later became a conductor on the Underground Railroad and is remembered today as one of the bravest and most famous abolitionists of that time. In the end, she freed over 300 slaves in 19 trips and earned the nickname of Moses. She was known for her incredible courage, persistence, and discipline. It's said that if anyone had ever had second thoughts about escaping, she would threaten to shoot them, saying, you'll be free or die. It's been said that she never lost a fugitive. In 1858, she ended up buying a farm in New York and became a scout, nurse, and laundress for the Union. In the end, she settled down and started the home for indigent aged Negroes, a place for orphans and the elderly. Elderly. She died in 1913 at the age of 90. Um, scripture for today is from Exodus chapter 3 through verse 4, uh, through chapter 4, verse 17. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve the God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, 
Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold, jewelry, and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand 
the staff which you shall do the signs. So as many of you know, um, uh, in, in, cl in classes I teach, I like to play role-playing games. Uh, I think they're fun and they get students much more interested in the game, uh, in the learning and that sort of thing. So anyway, I belong to a, I belong to a Facebook page uh, of teachers who use these role-playing games. And we talk about, you know, problems and, and uh, solutions and what's happening in your classroom and stuff like that. Um, so it's just kind of a think tank for teachers who, who use role-playing games. And uh, I, I remember once looking at the Facebook page and one particular teacher was thinking about uh, assigning roles uh, for a particular game and had a difficult role to assign and um, was, was kind of toying with the idea of assigning it to a student who was who seemed to have a lot of potential, but didn't always fulfill all of that potential. Um, sometimes uh, the student was in class, sometimes the student wasn't in class. Sometimes uh, the student was paying attention, sometimes the student was asleep on his desk. Um, and uh, so, the, so the teacher thought, well, you know, I'm gonna assign this role to this person and, and see what happens. Um, see if that can, that can do something for him. And so the teacher did, and then reported back to the Facebook group that uh, it just created this huge change in the student, that the student showed up every single day, that the student every day was more prepared than, than he was the day before. Um, and it, it was kind of amazing, the, the teacher said, what happens when that student kind of got tapped on the shoulder and said, I'm assigning this role to you. Um, and so the student, uh, being chosen for that role kind of allowed the student to become uh, what that role wanted, uh, meant for the student to be. So, so the story today uh, of Moses is, I think, a lot like that. Uh, we're in Exodus 3, uh, we're following Moses, and so far Moses has kind of been like the student in this class that, uh, that my friend on Facebook had. Moses, of course, has some good qualities, but he doesn't always quite seem to know how to use them. Um, he's tried to show up and find his role in life, um, but it hasn't really gone very well, and he's had to uh, kind of skedaddle and get out of town, uh, and, and he's left with not knowing what to do or, or how to do it. Um, so in this story today, everything is about to change for Moses because God is about to tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, I've got a role for you. I'm assigning a role to you. I'm choosing you for this role. And of course, the role that God is going to assign to Moses in this chapter is that Moses will be the one who speaks for God, which is a really big role. Moses is going to be God's mouthpiece. Moses will speak to people in the highest echelons of power, and he'll speak to people in the lowest places. He's supposed to speak to the Israelites who are slaves, and he's supposed to speak to Pharaoh who is king of Egypt. He's going to speak to all of them about who God is and what God is doing. And specifically in our passage, we see that Moses is being called to speak about God in three specific ways. He's supposed to talk about God's presence, he's supposed to talk about God's purpose, and he's supposed to talk about God's power. So God's presence, his purpose, and his power. 
Well, we start with God's presence because God's presence is what drives um, this whole passage. In fact, God's presence is what drives the entire book of Exodus. There is no Exodus, either the literal going out or the book that records that event. There is no Exodus if God does not make himself present. Exodus 3 is kind of where the, the real action in the book of Exodus starts. You can kind of think of uh, chapters 1 and 2 as a little bit of a prologue because it's in chapter 3 where God shows up and begins to be active in, uh, begins to be present in a very active way. So we see this right off the bat and we're introduced to this uh, when Moses sees this bush that is on fire. So Moses is tending his sheep in the desert. He's been there for a good long time now after he ran away from Egypt. And he sees a bush that is on fire. And Moses knows right away that it's not a regular fire because the bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed by the fire. Um, So Moses turns aside to investigate this strange sight. And as soon as he approaches the burning bush, a voice speaks to him out of the bush, telling him that he has entered into a holy space. And it's holy because God is present there. Any place where God is present, that is a holy place. So God says, this is a holy place, stop. Take off your sandals. That's an ancient Near Eastern way of showing uh, respect. Um, and, And he says, and listen up, I have things that I want to tell you. So God, this God who's speaking to him out of the burning bush, immediately begins by introducing himself. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So God identifies himself, or he names himself, by naming Israel's ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this introduction actually tells Moses quite a bit about what God is speaking to him. If I introduce myself by saying, hello, my name's Christina Hitchcock, I'm the wife of Nathan Hitchcock, Um, I'm actually telling you quite a few things about myself. I'm telling you with whom I have a very important relationship, and I'm telling you the kinds of promises that shape that relationship and therefore, of course, shape my very existence. Um, So that one little phrase gives you a lot of information about me. In the same way, God is telling Moses a lot about himself when he associates himself with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the God who who made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He promised them that he would make them into a great nation. He promised that he would bless them. He promised that he would give them a land that belonged to them. So the God speaking to Moses out of the burning bush is the same God that spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God who's at the center of the family history of Israel that, and the reason that they ended up in Egypt in the first place. He's the God that made promises that would shape not only Israel's existence, but God's own existence. God is saying with that name, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he has tied himself to this group of people. He has made himself present to them, and he's not going to try to get out of that. He remains present to them. And so he essentially says, that's who you're talking to, Moses. That's who I am. Um, and a little bit later, Moses presses harder into this. Who are you? Who should, I say that ha- who should I say has sent me? And so when Moses presses for another name, God tells Moses that his name is I am. Or the way we say it, um, trying to transliterate the Hebrew, is Yahweh. Like the other name, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh is a name that indicates presence. 
it's actually derived from the Hebrew verb to be. So this is the God who is, and this is the God who is for his people, the people of Israel. So Yahweh makes this very clear when he says to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of the slave drivers, and I know their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, what God is saying is, I know it doesn't quite seem like it right now, but I am deeply present to my people Israel. Not just now, but I have been since the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I have seen their circumstances. I have heard their cries. And when he says he knows their suffering, uh, I think Dave, Pastor Dave talked about this a few weeks ago, but the Hebrew word to know has this sense of a deep personal experience, not just having knowledge of facts or figures or something like that. So God says, I have a deep personal experience of their suffering. He is present to them. Where they are, he is. And he's also saying he is faithful to them, to them and to the promises that he made to their ancestors. He has determined that now is the time to act, and so now he is going to come down and rescue them. So Yahweh is present to his people, and Yahweh is faithful to his people. And they're going to learn that in a very new and powerful way uh, very soon, and Moses is going to be the spokesperson for that. He is going to go and tell Pharaoh, this God, Yahweh, is present to his people, and he wants them. Um, and so that is Moses' first, uh, first thing that he is going to speak about. But whenever God is present, he's always present for a purpose. God doesn't act randomly or in an arbitrary fashion. His presence is always for a purpose. And so, again, Yahweh has already told Moses that he has seen his people's misery. He's heard their cries. He knows their suffering. So his purpose is to rescue them. Rescue them from the Egyptians, from their suffering, from their slavery, and bring them up into this land that he promised so long ago to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The land that he describes as flowing with milk and honey. It's a beautiful land. It's a flourishing land. So Yahweh's purpose is to fulfill his promises to his people, to bring them out of slavery into freedom, from poverty into flourishing, from death into life. In other words, Yahweh intends to save his people, and he tends to use Moses to make that happen. So that's the next thing Moses is going to talk about. He's going to talk about freedom for his people. Now, I think it's important that we don't spiritualize Yahweh's purpose here, which, quite frankly, I think the American church has a tendency to do when it talks about salvation. Um, I personally have learned a lot about how to read the book of Exodus by reading the sermons and testimonies of black Americans who lived all or part of their lives in slavery like Harriet Tubman. Um, our black brothers and sisters in Christ who experienced slavery and experienced the justification of slavery from a spiritual understanding of salvation, uh, an overly spiritual understanding of salvation, um, they read the book of Exodus and they, I believe, had unusual insight into that book because they were slaves themselves. Um, Harriet Tubman wanted to uh, be free herself and to bring more and more people out of freedom because she had a deep understanding of God's purposes in the world. And she felt called to be a part of those purposes. 
So people like Harriet Tubman understood that the salvation God promises to Israel and to us is earthly and this-worldly rather than heavenly or otherworldly. When God says that he's going to rescue his people, he is telling Moses that he is going to save them. But that word save and salvation is such a common Christian word that I sometimes think we don't, we don't think about it very much. Um, and in this passage, God makes it clear what's, what he means by salvation. So when he's talking to Moses, he's telling Moses that he's going to give the people of Israel economic salvation, social salvation, and bodily salvation. So God has promised salvation that is economic. That means that God promises to create a world in which every person is treated with justice. He's going to create a world in which one group of people is not exploited for the sake of another group. In God's world, in God's kingdom, there's enough for everyone, so no one's labor will be stolen from them. It will be a kingdom in which, as God says later through another prophet, every person will sit under their own vine and fig tree. So God's promised salvation has a lot to do with economics. God's promised salvation is also social. This means that God promises a world in which people live in community and fellowship with each other, in which each person, old or young, male or female, is valued as an end rather than as a means and is treated with kindness and respect and love and dignity. And God's promised salvation is also bodily. This means that God doesn't just care about our spirits or our souls. He cares about our bodies and our life in this world. This is the world God made. This is the world he put us in. This is where he wants us to experience his salvation. So God promises a world to Moses and to us in which human bodies are treated with dignity. Remember, the Israelites are slaves, and it's important to think about everything that that means, that their bodies are exploited on a daily basis, that they belong to someone other than themselves, someone who feels free to um, abuse them, hurt them, kill them. But God promises a world that is not ruled by death or the threat of death, which is how Pharaoh rules. Remember, he's the one that throws babies into the Nile. God promises a world in which, which physical suffering is done away with and a world in which people are not stolen or killed or abused, a world in which each person receives the reward of their labor and a world in which people are genuinely given rest. So God is making huge promises to Moses right here and to the people of Israel. He's saying, I'm going to save my people. But by that, he does not mean what we kind of typically think of as a salvation meaning. It doesn't mean that when they die, their souls will go to heaven. That is not what God is saying to Moses right here. If that were the case, if God were saying when they die, their souls will go to heaven, and that's what salvation is, it ultimately wouldn't even matter if they were slaves or not, because that's not, that's not the thing. Uh, the thing is getting your soul to heaven. So, so God wouldn't care whether they were slaves or not. God's promise of salvation to the Israelites is that they will be a community that lives justly in a bountiful land under the protection of Yahweh. That's salvation. So in this passage, we see that God's salvation is earthy, it's physical, and it is this-worldly. And I really do think that we try to take that seriously here at Life Church. It's why our church as a whole tries to care about children who don't have any parents to watch over them. 
It's why we try to care about the working poor who need a car so that they can get to work and pay their bills and take care of their kids. It's why we care about Native Americans who still suffer the consequences of an invasion of their land that happened 150, 200 years ago. And it's why we care about families that need safe and affordable place to send their kids to preschool while they're at work. It's why we care about how we use our bodies and how we live our day-to-day -day lives because the salvation that God is talking about to Moses is the salvation that he continues to talk about with us. So these things, these things that we want to care about are a reflection of the salvation that God is bringing to this world that he promised to the Israelites long ago and that he continues to promise to us. Salvation is not that when I die, my soul will go to heaven. Salvation is God's work to bring God's people back to God's land. That's what Yahweh is telling Moses he's going to do for the Israelites. But the next obvious question is how? How will, the, I mean, it's nice to make big promises, but can you deliver? That's always the next question. In the world Moses lived in, and quite frankly, in the world we live in, such promises seem impossible. They seem like a dream. But Yahweh claims to have the power to do it. Moses clearly is a little worried about this. I mean, Moses uh, couches all of his objections in kind of these subtle ways um, or kind of says, what if so-and-so says whatever? Um, but I think he's, he's, he's expressing his own concerns. Um, so Moses is a little worried about this because he asks Yahweh what he should do if the people of Israel don't believe him when he goes and gives them this big story and these big promises. And, um, and Yahweh gives Moses signs that he will show to the people. Yahweh wants both Moses and the people of Israel to know him and to be able to trust him and believe him. So that's why he gives them these signs. Now, the signs are going to testify to Moses' veracity. In other words, Moses is telling the truth. I really did meet with Yahweh out in the wilderness, and he told me to tell you all this stuff. Um, but the signs also testify to Yahweh's power to do what he says he's going to do. And again, imagine, it's hard to believe. If Moses comes to you with this story, it is going to be hard to believe. So, so the signs. So the first sign, uh, as you heard from the, from the text, the first sign is the staff turning into a snake, and the second sign is Moses' hand becoming leprous. So, but as I was thinking about these signs this week, I thought, you know, beyond just validating Moses' claims and pointing to a powerful being, what do these signs really mean? So why these signs instead of some other signs? Well, I think what the two signs have in common is that the first part of the sign creates a terrible danger. So the first sign is Moses' staff turning into a snake when he throws it onto the ground. The text tells us that when Moses does this, uh, the staff turns into a serpent, a snake, and Moses runs from it. Uh, what this means is Moses is an experienced desert wilderness dweller. Um, when, the, when the staff turns into a snake, it's not like a garter snake or something like that. It's a dangerous snake. Moses runs away from it. He does not want to be near that snake. It is dangerous. The second sign, of course, is Moses' hand becoming leprous, um, having some kind of terrible skin disease. Um, leprosy was a, a dreadful disease for which at that time there was no cure, and it kind of inevitably but slowly led to a very painful, uh, unpleasant death. It was so feared that when people saw a leper, they ran from the leper. And I have no doubt that Moses would have run from his hand if he could have. 
um, just like he ran from the snake. So both signs create this terrible, deathly reality. But here's where we need to pay attention to the fact that that's not the end of the sign. If that were the sign, your staff turns into a snake, your hand becomes leprous, then each sign would really have just been a threat issued from God to Moses or to Pharaoh or to whomever, to whoever's seeing the sign. If that were the end of the sign, Yahweh wouldn't really be all that different from Pharaoh, who also can create death. And we've already seen that in the prologue, that, that Pharaoh is the one who, who creates death for the Israelites. So he's, again, he's the guy who's been throwing babies into the Nile. Pharaoh has the power to bring death too. If the snake and the leprosy are the end of the sign, Yahweh's not really all that different from Pharaoh. But the snake and the leprosy are just the setup. That's what's so great about these signs. The real message is in the second part of each sign. God tells Moses to pick up the snake by its tail, and when he obeys, the snake turns back into a staff. God tells Moses to put his hand back into his cloak, and when he obeys, his hand is healed. It is in the completion of the signs that we see the real truth of Yahweh. Yahweh is the one who has power over death and over all that is deadly. Yahweh can defang the viper and he can heal the leper. Pharaoh cannot do that. The true message of the signs that Moses brings to the people of Israel is that Yahweh has the power to save them from everything that threatens them. Pharaoh can kill them, but Yahweh can rescue them. He is powerful enough, is what the signs are saying. He will accomplish the purposes he has laid out. He will keep the promises he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They seem impossible, but this God, the God who can make the snake turn back into a staff, the God who can make the leprous hand be clean again, this God can do it. And God tells Moses that there will be a conflict. He says, Pharaoh's not going to let you go um, until I respond to him with a mighty hand. So God is prepared to do, uh, to exercise his power on behalf of his people. He will defeat the gods of Egypt and bring his people out of that deadly oppression. He will guide his people safely through the wilderness and all of the dangers that lurk there. He will bring his people into a beautiful and flourishing land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He will give them victory in that land, and he will make it a land of peace. These promises are for everyone who sees the signs and believes them. And I think it's worth taking notice that God gives Moses two signs. He knows the people will need help believing. So if they don't believe at first, the first sign, he says, perhaps they will believe the second. God could use his power to overwhelm his people or to force his people, but he uses it to invite them and to persuade them. Yahweh has the power to accomplish, his, uh, to accomplish his purposes, and he's going to use that power for his people. That's the good news Moses is going to become the spokesperson for. So, so, so this is the, the conversation Moses is having with God. God is making his presence known, he's making his purposes known, and he's making his power known to Moses. And now Moses is supposed to go and make all that stuff known to the people of Israel. So once all of this has been demonstrated to Moses, God sends Moses on his way. 
Now, Moses uh, has one last objection, which, which God has very little patience for, because uh, Moses essentially says, I don't want to do it. Uh, and God says, I don't care. Um, you're doing it. I've assigned this role to you, and so you're going to have this role. Now, again, God sends Aaron. God is, God is willing and able to help Moses, but Moses doesn't just get to opt out. This is the role he has been assigned. This role belongs to him now. Moses' job is to testify to Yahweh, to tell Israel and Pharaoh who Yahweh is and what he is doing. Moses will speak, God will do the rest. So Moses has been given his assigned role, all his objections and fears have been answered by Yahweh, and Moses' task is to testify, to testify that Yahweh is present to his people that Yahweh's purpose is to save his people and give them abundant life, and that Yahweh has the power to actually do the things he says he's going to do. So this calling of Moses launches us into this amazing story of God bringing his people out of slavery, out of Egypt, into the land he promised to give them with Moses as their leader. So they are about to learn what it takes to get out of Egypt. But no matter how amazing Moses was, and he was amazing, uh, he was, of course, just a man. God's purpose, God's salvation was foreshadowed by Moses, but it wasn't accomplished by Moses. Moses points to a greater prophet, a greater messenger, a greater word, the word of God himself, Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't just speak about God. Jesus is God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's Jesus. The God who saw, heard, and knew the Israelites in their suffering, that's Jesus. The God who promised to come down and deliver his people, that's Jesus. The God who said, I am, that's Jesus. This is the good news that Moses' whole life and Moses' whole speaking career points to. When the time was right, the Son of God became human. He lived a human life. He suffered and died. And three days later, he rose from the dead. That's Jesus. Jesus went into the Egypt that is death, and with a mighty hand, he defeated our enemy there. He rose from the dead on the third day. He grabbed the snake by the tail, and he healed the leprous hand. He conquered death. Jesus is the God who is present to his people in ways that I think even Moses could barely imagine. Moses, who stood in front of the burning bush, could barely imagine the way that God is present to us in Jesus. Jesus' purpose is to rescue us, to rescue you from sin and death, and he has the power to accomplish that purpose. Jesus is God at work to bring God's people back to God's land. He's inviting you to know him by his name, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, Yahweh, Jesus. He's inviting you to believe the signs that he's given you, and he's inviting you to follow him. And more than that, he is calling you and me, like Moses, to testify to him to tell other people who he is and what he is doing. 
which can be pretty scary. Uh, Moses was pretty scared. Uh, so it's okay if you feel scared too. It's okay if I feel scared. Um, but just like Moses, God will empower us. God will, the power is in God, not in us. Just like the power was in God, not in Moses. Um, and so when we say yes to God, yes to the role that he's assigned to us, uh, powerful things will happen. And so next week, we're going to see, see something uh, of what that's going to look like when the resurrected, what, when the resurrected Jesus um, gives power to another group of people. Uh, like Moses, these people will also encounter the burning presence of God. They will also be empowered to speak in ways that they never could have spoken on their own. And they will also call people out of slavery into new life. We'll see that the role that was assigned to Moses was the same role assigned to these folks in the book of Acts and is the same role assigned to us. We'll see that just as Moses was empowered by the presence of God, so were the people in the early church and so can we be. And so it's gonna be pretty exciting. You don't wanna miss out on it. If you're not a Christian and maybe uh, you haven't heard this before or it's new to you, but you wanna hear more about the Jesus who can, um, who can conquer death, who has authority over snakes and serpents and illnesses and all the other bad stuff. Um, there's going to be people up here uh, after the last song uh, who you can talk with or pray with. Um, I invite you to see the signs and to uh, investigate them and to follow them and to believe them. So please feel free to come up and talk to the people afterwards. Let's pray. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, thank you that you are present to us. Thank you that you promised salvation to us, and thank you that you are powerful enough to keep your promises. Holy Spirit, we ask that you empower us like you did Moses to tell others about your presence, your purpose, and your power. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.